Hi, Sandy. Hey, Nora. How's it going? Super wicked. How are you? I'm good. I know you're super wicked because you just came back from the NDP convention. That's right. That is right. Is that why you're super wicked? Uh, yep. I want to congratulate you, first of all, because I just saw this um, amazing write-up in the Globe and Mail that you did. And so congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. I can't wait to read it. I haven't read it yet. And I haven't read it yet because I wanted to talk to you about it first. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so NDP convention, what was that like? Tell me about it. Uh, okay, so it was boring to start. No, really? <laughs> it, like, it's a convention. It's a political convention. You and used to love that shit. I do love it. And so it was this like, it was like Schrodinger's love, right? I was there <laughs> loving it and fucking hating every minute. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me more. Well, there's a lot of folks that we know, and it's really great to see a lot of people that I haven't seen from my past, and like people who you think look like something, but you're like, wait, I haven't seen you in eight years. You look like an adult. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was really weird, and and also, you know, I was there as media, which was very interesting too, because I'm, I, uh-huh. I, you know, people would come up to me, and I would invite people to come up to me to talk to me about the convention, but that's not how convention media happens right and so out of nowhere they'd be like wicked badass looking hippies being like hi are you Nora can we talk to you <laughs> I'd be like, yes uh, let us go to the back of the room for a secret conversation like ignore the national and of course they trust you because they listen to the podcast and they know that you're rad yeah right that's right okay. that's right yeah no it was it was amazing because I had a lot of very honest discussions with people who are are new to the party apparatus and so who are frustrated with how convention work or whatever Mm -hmm. so and and there were a lot of things about convention that were really shitty like you know you can't omnibus stuff okay (laughs) so what (laughs) it's the only (laughs) reason to go to meetings that big (laughs) right okay so so i don't know if you followed it this closely but one of the big debates was changing the name of the visible minority caucus Oh, to like the racialized caucus or something like that? I think I did see something like that. Okay, tell me about that. How did that go? Well, it's like racial justice and equity, I think, was what they settled on. But it was just a really great example of the problems with the party. So I talked to one woman, Pamela Grant, who knew you and was loving you. I know Pamela Grant. Hi, Pamela Grant. I hope you listen to this radio show. I sent her I sent her the link. She was telling me that the NDP in in the early 90s, late 80s, had a black caucus. And so... I, I must have a gap of my knowledge. Like, how the fuck does a caucus go from being a black caucus to a visible minority caucus? Oh, that's so strange. Yeah. Oh, I would love to hear the history behind that. Right. Let's interview her at some point. Anyway, tell me more. What did she tell you? So she was saying that she joined the NDP in 1989 and her major job with the Bob Ray government was to, as she said, reach out to communities that the NDP didn't traditionally reach out to. And so uh, racial communities for sure, but I think she was also dispatched across the province. And so just in general communities that the NDP had problems reaching to. Mm-hmm. And and I, th- I thought that was very interesting because, of course, the Bob Ray government was successful. So obviously whatever work they were doing on that front was was working right Mm -hmm. she also talked about the pay equity uh language that she was involved in uh helping to figure out with with the ray government too but like 
while I was talking to her, there were people who were trying to organize an informal black caucus. And I I just couldn't believe that, you know, it felt like there was some walking backwards of progress that had been made 20 years ago. And and she made the the point of of insisting that things were not rosy back then, things were not better back then. But they were obviously different in a very profound way if today the big debate was having the convention floor which was vast majority white and older agree to this change it was like first of all this should be this should be technical this should be omnibus this doesn't need to be debated by everybody no one's opinion who isn't a member of the caucus fucking matters Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. and if the caucus is taking a position on it anyone in the minority position doesn't matter either because this the caucus decision but it was it, it ate up a lot of the convention, and that was really what I took from it, that the convention used identity to eat up or to make procedural decisions uh, that uh, were that would entrench the status quo. Interesting. Interesting. And so yeah. and I have other examples if you want I hear. do. And so was so that so you're you're telling me that that was ultimately successful though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was no like it was great because it gave the opportunity some activists to take the floor and make really excellent speeches. Angela Zhu and Dan and Jai Coley, DJ Coley, who we both know, mm-hmm. both uh, spoke on it. I'm not sure if DJ spoke on the floor, but he was passionately kind of working behind the scenes talking about it as well. But it was like bureaucratic. Like that's not that's not a debate. That's kind of obvious. And and uh, the point was made. I don't know if the point was made to be privately or if it was made on the floor, but that people have been trying to make this change for a decade. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Well, because how the like how the fuck long ago did we use the term visible minority in any serious way if we're mm-hmm. not the census, right? Mm-hmm. And historically, that was again the Black Caucus. It's very interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. So, give me some more examples. Well, the first intervention against changing the 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 agenda. So the agenda was very fluid, and um, they had a they had an app which should have worked really well, except the agenda kept on changing. And so it was very hard to follow along with what the fuck was going on. But of course... Okay, can I just say, can I just interject to say, yeah. like, conventions, union uh, union conventions, like, political party conventions, you don't need apps. You don't. Oh, oh, my God. Just, give, just, no, nobody wants to download a new app nope. to participate nope. in in a really big organizational meeting. Don't do it. No. It's not going to get you in with the young no, ones. And it, it, it doesn't and work. And it created a lot of problems with older delegates who didn't get printouts of the documents that they needed. Now, you know, the documents were 151 fucking pages, which is a whole other issue. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, stop. Stop doing it. Don't do yeah. it. Don't do it. It's bad. Yeah. And the, and okay. the app didn't work. Like, <laughs> you know, you couldn't go past the first motion in any motions block, and the motions block oh, had like 60 God. motions. Like, yeah, it was a fucking disaster, <laughs> right? No. Oh yeah, and I was okay. I was sitting with press, which which were not super um, uh, generous <laughs> for things like this not working. They're like, what fucking motion are they talking about? And I'm like, let me open my PDF, which I saved from before, and it works. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I I have to say that the convention Wi-Fi was excellent. So thank you very much, like wholehearted thank you for the convention Wi-Fi being excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that was really great. Uh-huh. It was important. But no, the first debate was uh, was you know people got to the microphone. They wanted the agendas to be long, in uh, um, in uh, uh, made longer uh, to allow for more debate. Right. And the and the first opposed, 
I would I like I don't want to put you on the spot, but I bet you could guess it was uh no, we can't do this because if we if we make the debates longer, we'll cut into caucus time, which means that the women's caucus won't be able to deliberate. Mm. And it was like I know this tactic and I know this mm-hmm. argument and what the fuck? Like People just want to debate longer. Who the fuck cares? Like, you're already fucking the agenda. Does it really matter? Yeah. Yeah. And then the third issue, which you will find interesting, was that there was a motion on free higher education that was served, and it was endorsed by almost 30 ridings, riding associations. Wait, they don't already have a policy nope. on free higher education? They didn't. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Nope. Stop it. I know. Can you believe it? You're kidding. No, no, it was like Okay, so I can't I can't pretend that I didn't see any of the stuff that was happening on Twitter <laughs> or on Facebook, but I totally thought that it was like just a reaffirmation of something that already nope. existed. No, no, no. The changes were You're kidding. No, no, the changes were super significant. So it was like uh going from reduced tuition fees to zero. So sorry, what did it say on what? <laughs> uh, yeah. what? So what did it say before? It said reduced? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's oh. Yeah. Okay, well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, sure. and, and grants not loans, like even their grants not loans language was not very strong. Like it was, you know, you would look at it and go like, oh, yeah, OK, that sounds like the NDP. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they they put this motion forward and, and there was five changes. One of them was free education. Uh, two of them dealt with grants and loans and tax credits. The final point dealt with um, re- uh, refusing to fund the cap on the post-secondary student support program, which is the program that the federal government uses to fund the treaty right to education and uh, but because higher education costs more money so you have a student from a reserve going to wherever u of t someone has to fund that because there's a treaty right to education now the vast majority of students do not get this treaty right but this was put into the policy that they would take the two percent cap off which was put in place by the paul Mm -hmm. martin government and the chair of the aboriginal commission which is what it's called objected to it saying that not all people are treaty people and so this motion needs to be reconsidered because this excludes people that aren't considered under the post-secondary student support program which was another example where I thought it was a bit weird because like it wasn't a critique of the PSSSP the program is not good you know there's a lot of gaps but the but the motion was very clearly addressing the program itself and that almost so wait sorry I sorry I I don't quite understand so the the critique was that the motion didn't go far enough to addressing all the needs of people who would not be covered under the pssp program right PSSSP? right except that the okay, first got it, got except it. that the first clause was that there was a right to free education for everybody right so mm-hmm. it was a bit i thought it was a bit strange that this was being that this was the argument that was being used to throw this motion back to committee so that they didn't have to debate it. Oh, that is very strange. Was it was there like a lot of dissent for another reason or did we not even get to that point to be able to see that? No. No, it took it took that intervention for people to go, "Oh, okay, we don't really know much about this and so that sounds fine." And so it was sent back on the second day of convention of 3 days uh to a committee that then reprioritized it and then reserved it under the emergency motion block. And it did pass, but I think it only passed because of the organizing work that delegates had done around this motion. Right. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm also interested in 
what you saw at the NDB convention with respect to some more radical ideas. So, for example, I know I've heard from people who are members of the NDP that it is always um, a point of contention, which doesn't seem like it should be to me, but it is always a point of contention when the discussion of Israeli apartheid comes up. I have seen that that was a discussion point at the convention. Were you there for that? Like, what was your experience of watching that go down? Like, how did it go? Oh, wow. Okay. So first of all, it was not about Israeli apartheid, obviously. Uh, The language was softened significantly. And so it was about condemning violence on both sides, quote unquote. Okay. So they made it easy to adopt. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, in case you're wondering, you shouldn't do. You shouldn't make things easy. You should make things honest. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) There's two ways to tell the story. The first is to tell the story from my experience witnessing the debate on the floor. Mm -hmm. And the second way is to talk about the, the, you know, the politicking or whatever that happened. And I'll start with my experience on the floor because it was very uh, bizarre. So the so the motion comes to the floor. So, okay, I'll back up. There were I don't know eight motions about Israel-Palestine in varying ways. There was one motion that called for economic sanctions on Israel for continuing the settlements. And it was written in a way that was trying to uh, reach middle ground so that there would be people who, uh, you know, could be soft Zionist or sympathetic to Israel who would look at this motion and say, this is still reasonable. I can support this. Right. And mm-hmm. it was endorsed by 29 riding associations, maybe up to 32 by the time the actual convention came around, because, of course, motions were due in December or something. This motion, of course, did not get to the floor. But the activists that organized around this motion were told uh, kind of quietly that the morning of the prioritization panels, which were the panels to prioritize the block agendas, people would line up at 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so the folks that organized around this were like, well, fuck. We're like, we've gotten all this way. We don't want to get fucked by not showing up on time. And so they showed up for 5.30 in the morning. Okay. The block started at 7, so it was early, like, already. So 5.30 was a little bit more early. But what happened after that was kind of chaotic, and there's videos online, and there's people connected with the party and people not connected with the party jostling each other and whatever. And the short version of the story is when the motion actually came to the floor for a vote, it lost by 11 votes uh, to be prioritized. And in those 11 and, and this is out of 500 people almost. Like it was a big chunk of people. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And in that 400 and whatever, or the 200 or whatever who voted against prioritizing it were a whole bunch of MPs, right? Alexandre Leris, Peter Julian, Guy Caron. <laughs> like they oh pulled my out. God. Yeah. They pulled out the big guns to come out and be like, fuck this motion. And so the motion that did make it into the top five of the block was a very soft motion served by Brampton South. And it was just like, we condemn both sides. We condemn moving the, the uh, embassy to, to Jerusalem and all this kind of stuff. But it wasn't very, it was very, very toothless. Right. Mm-hmm. So this motion makes it to the floor. Okay. And it is very tense. Both microphones are packed with people It was motion five in a block, so there were already other motions debated to get to this, so people were expecting it. People organized to be at the microphones to hold posters in support of Ahed Tamini, who is in jail. She's 17 years old, 
by Israel, Palestinian, and they had a silent protest. And so they hold these posters of Ahed and said nothing. But the points of orders started, you know, one of the first points of orders was from a guy from a union who was like, these posters weren't union printed. How dare you have these on the floor? These are not appropriate. Fuck this. Right. It was Wait, like, what? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, okay. and so and <laughs> yeah. And so and the same guy actually threatened me for filming the vote. Um uh, literally threatened me, like came up to me while I was filming it and being like, what are you doing? How dare you film this? Turn your camera off. All this kind of stuff. It was like, what in the world? I know. I'm like, dude, I know you're like six foot four and like 300 pounds, but like you will not intimidate me and it's on camera and I'm not filming anyone's face. So tell everybody to chill the fuck out because <laughs> there's nothing else for me to do because you're just voting on yeah. calling the question, like whatever. And so, and so the debate was very tense and, you know, you had, uh, p- uh activists who'd served the motion, uh, Sam Hirsch, uh, Jewish young activist being like, I fully support this. You had Amy Kiszczak, who's, you know, a Palestinian Canadian lawyer, get to the microphone. And then someone called the question, which was a bit weird because there was still a lot of desire to have the vote. And so the call the question, because it was a two thirds, had to be someone called for a standing vote because it was very close. And so you had to actually count individually of like however many people, I don't know, 1200 people. And so during the standing vote, I was filming and uh, and about, I don't know, 15 people, including a member of parliament, came up to me and told me to turn off my camera. Oh, my God. Like, what do you what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? What are you doing right now? Uh, And it was like motherfucking CPAC is live motherfuckers (laughs) I don't know why you're mad at me go talk to the dude with the camera up there but and someone went to the microphone saying you know saying that there was uh, a delegate filming and how dare they do this and 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 have them turn it off and I was like I'm not a delegate but our badges were very similar in color and so I don't know if they're talking about me or someone else but uh, I think I got the most shit of anyone who was there for press oh no yeah, and, and so it passed. It passed. Um, it wasn't close. Like when the vote actually happened, I felt like it was, you know, pretty clear where people were at. But it was a watered down motion, so it's hard to say. And uh, and it for sure rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I talked to young activists who got involved who were very surprised that the party under under Jagmeet Singh would be, uh, you know, so hostile to debating Palestine. That's, uh, you know, like I, I continue to wonder why this needs to be so controversial. Like I just I, you know, it's it's it seems like such a clear issue that any left wing party would want to be at the forefront of. But is it the case that like I, I think your phrasing is very interesting, like that under Jagmeet Singh's party, that this would still be a controversial thing. Is it Jagmeet Singh's party at this point? I've seen a lot of um, critique of uh, him in particular, I I think that uh, some of that does have uh, something to do with racism. To be quite clear, be, uh, to be quite honest, because he hasn't really had like he's he's been leader for how long, and he hasn't been he doesn't have a seat yet, and it's just it it's um, curious to me to see the type of critiques that he has. But I'm I'm wondering like mm-hmm. when you were there at the convention, was it Jagmeet Singh's party? Does he, is it his party yet? Oh, like, what do you think? It, like, I mean, you know, his face is everywhere. And the, and the, and the videos that started every block were about him. Um, 
you know, if he had a clear position. So on it's the, Jagmeet Singh's communication team. But is it Jagmeet Singh's party? I Yeah, no, it's that's a great question. And I, I don't know. Like, did did he directly tell Guy Caron to go and vote against this? Ah, like, I would bet money no. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, did, yeah. If, if he called Guy Caron was like, don't do this. And Guy was like, fuck you, I'm doing it anyway. That's a different question. Right. So it's like. You know, it's hard to say if it's his party or not. He 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 has appointed his own chief of staff, so like he's in somewhat control of the party. Mm-hmm. But you and I know a lot of the players who were there and who are there, and it's the same folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he Jagmeet's you know entry has not changed any of that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know I think part of it is about expectations because people. You know, people voted for him, I think, to do politics differently. And so he has a very difficult challenge to balance, uh, you know, having people who are around Leighton and having new people and saying that he's fully different because it really is a mix of people. And who is more adept at navigating and negotiating and maneuvering to make sure that they uh, carry their position like it's it's that's not going to be Jagmeet's people we know that so then the question becomes uh, like you know the you're considering the question uh, is this Jagmeet Singh's party uh, based off of the the story you just told me but I'm also curious like is it is is this a party that's ready to go into a 2019 election mm-hmm. um, behind Jagmeet Singh like what mm-hmm. what was your thought um, that being at the at the convention, I would like. I th- I think they're half there. I think that like like ugh, first of all, I'm I'm super jaded by by Jagmeet as member of provincial parliament, right? In a party that mm-hmm. was shitty, and so it's hard to for me to separate. Like, was Andrea Horvath acting with full consent of Singh? I I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I I, I have no idea if, yes, he was an enthusiastic supporter of the way that the NDP in Ontario operated or if he's kind of, you know, was named deputy leader to kind of keep him close because he was critical. I don't know. It's not I I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, his speech was half and half. His speech was, uh, you know, we're going back to social programs. We're going back to universal programs. We're going back to being the old NDP that we always were. It was like, okay, that seems like a new change. Actually, you wouldn't have heard Mulcair sing a lot of those things. 100%. Mm-hmm. But, but nothing he said was uh, super radical either. So he avoided the environment almost entirely. Oh, I didn't uh, think that which, was an issue here. Yeah. Oh, it is, obviously. <laughs> Fuck, sorry. I totally forgot about Alberta. Continue. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, so like, Alberta, BC, it was very managed to make sure that that mm-hmm. didn't come up. And, of course, Alberta, Alberta being a, for those of you who don't know, an NDP government who is very, very supportive of uh, of the tar sands. Right. Yeah. And, and in a war, in an open war right now with the other NDP government in Canada, which is the British Columbia, right? Um, and and so it's very hard to say because, you know, like changing these structures, unless you are a maverick, like a proper maverick that walks in and literally fires everybody the next day, 
mm-hmm. you are going to have a mix of leadership. And 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 Singh never has positioned himself as a maverick, and I don't think it would be even fair to expect him to have walked in and fired everybody. Mm-hmm. But short of that, I don't see um, I don't see the big scale change. You know, like there was a motion to support decriminalizing drugs, which is a big a big win for people that have been fighting for it for a long time. Mm-hmm. But if you take the position that the NDP should be supporting social movements, it's like, that's a no brainer. That shouldn't have even been debated. It should be like, yeah, of course we should be doing that. Es- mm-hmm. Especially because, you know, he ran on, he ran on that and he ran on the free education thing. Why did the free education motion get such blowback if the leader himself has said, like, I've supported that. So what is happening between the rhetoric of the leader, the policy of the party and the apparatus around the convention. And uh, and I don't know. Like, I, you know, on one hand, it would be un- unfair to think that he should be doing it all. And on the other hand, I'd be like, fuck you guys are doing it my, my way. But uh, <laughs> that's just that's just me. Right. <laughs> I'd never right. get elected. <laughs> so I, you know, I see that the title of the article that you wrote in the Globe and Mail that I congratulated you on is different in the print version versus the online yeah. version, which is weird. It but is. the online version is that um, this is the NDP's only hope or something like that. I don't know. Um, what is it? What's the only hope? Are you going to tell me or are you going to make me read the article? Can you give me some? No, no, I'll hint? tell you. Okay. Oh, fuck. You You fucking know. If I asked you that question, you would give me the answer. Is it organizing and struggle? <laughs> it's like the moral of every single episode of this podcast we've made. Yeah. And it it's is. not planned. Like, it just happens to come up every time. <laughs> yeah, it's that. It's 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 that um, if the NDP is serious about winning in 2019, uh, and I also talk to folks who are trying to win in June, right, in the Ontario NDP race, mm-hmm. it requires organizing and it requires talking to people on the ground people who are disenfranchised from politics or disenfranchised from the party or whatever but that that this is obvious that you can't win with pocket pocketbook issues like you can't just say we're gonna save hst on hydro even if hydro is going through the roof it's not good enough no the ontario adp has changed a little bit like there, andrea did a press conference during the convention where she pretty much laid out what their priorities are which were like public hydro better health care uh better home care maybe then there was something else uh, but but she's positioning herself as the least worst. And it's like, tell me you're not setting yourself up to shit the bed again. <laughs> oh, no. See, okay, so, like, one of the things that we talked about um, a few episodes ago was, like, how important it was for the NDP to be bold in their vision and what what their promise to implement a pharmacare plan did to the liberals. It forced them to implement a watered-down, schemey, obviously, a pharmacare plan, but it is going to help people, and it forces pharmacare to become, all of a sudden, a national conversation. And that's because the NDP, after, you know, they could have made this promise decades ago, but it's something that happened very recently. And them doing that forced everybody uh, to the left in some ways because everyone was forced to talk about well do you think that everybody has the right to access the drugs that they need (laughs) like I mean I think the obvious answer to that is yes but it forced the conversation and it forced the the um you know usually 
impotent center liberals to say, yes, we're in favor of this. Um, so you see, like, it's not always important to just win as a left wing party. It's important to shift policy. And so I'm hoping that, you know, the big ticket items in the both the provincial election in Ontario, but also the federal election across the country that's coming up in 2019, will really see some bold visions. I do like the idea of decriminalizing all drugs. I think that that's super, super bold. Um, I hope that has something with incarceration behind it. We need a national pharmacare plan. We need free education. I'd like to see one party start talking about communications and the right to communication, like access to internet and access to, to communicating with people and providing some sort of public access to that. Like these are the types of big ticket, bold items that we need to see from a party that wants to define itself as the left wing party in this country. And so I'm hoping that some of those things were discussed at this convention. If they weren't some of the things that I talked about, I'm hoping that somewhere along the line, they do become a bold vision for a provincial or federal party. Yeah, actually, let me tell you two things. So first of all, there was one promise in his speech that got a lot of reaction from uh, people online that like from who were following my coverage which was, and it seemed to be a bit of a surprise, which was that the NDP is going to call for national public infrastructure for the internet. <gasps> Stop great. it. Are you kidding? No, no, no. It no. was like, it was. Are you serious? Nora, I've yeah, been yeah. saying this for years and I'm like, everybody thinks that I'm nuts, <laughs> but really like this is something that someone is yeah. taking seriously. Oh yeah, my God, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. It, and people reacted just that, like that. obviously like, should be public. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, now I'm feeling uh, way more optimistic. <laughs> oh, good. That's a bold, <laughs> like if that actually becomes a plan of something, like that's a that's the type of bold vision that we're talking about. And it forces yeah. the other parties to talk about it. Okay, cool. Interested in that. That was really positive. And, um, and as I say, people, that would elicit a lot of excitement. Now, it was buried in his speech, so I don't actually know what the plan is for it or how they'll communicate it, right? Because if you think about the 2015 election, you know, they fucked up talking about the $15 minimum wage because they just found themselves on the back foot, not able to explain who makes the federal $15 minimum wage, right? Because it's a bit complicated in Canada. So, you know, to, to, to see how he will do it, that was, a, that was a highlight. The other highlight for me was in the process of writing this article, I met three young women from Hamilton, and they were 17. Oh, Hamilton, my favorite organizing city. I love you, Hamilton. I know. Always my favorite. Like, seriously, my favorite. I wear a Hamilton button all the time because I love those activists. Tell I'm me serious. it goes back to the, the days of uh, us at uh, MSU, at the McMaster Student Union, trying to fuck their shit up. Mm-hmm. No? Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. Yes. Yes, 100%. So I met three three young women who were there for the first time and they were pretty disappointed with what they saw. They were disappointed with the convention, they were disappointed with the politicking, and they were very disappointed with how the Palestine motion played out. Mm -hmm. And what gives me a lot of hope was that they kind of just casually mentioned that they confronted Singh in the lobby. <laughs> Did they really? I trust it. Okay, Hamilton, come through. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So, I would have loved to just yeah. watch that piece. They were like, yeah, we were pissed about how this happened. And then we ran into Jigmeet and we were like, fuck, what the fuck was that? <laughs> good, good. And? Yeah. And, well, I, you know, 
the, the the moral of that story isn't he responded in a positive way or a negative way because honestly that didn't actually come up it was is more the moral trust Hamiltonians pressing. yeah it will no and, and trust <laughs> young and trust young black women right yeah. like holy fuck like there's so much women, really great black women organizing in Hamilton Ontario and power to yeah. all of you yeah. Well, and it's it's like if you can't organize there in the right way, like then we're all fucked because Hamilton is a wonderful location in Ontario for radical politics for a whole bunch of reasons. For so and many these reasons. women were like, yeah. And they were like, yeah, we confronted Jagmeet. And I was like, of course you did. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so that, you know, that gives me a lot of hope because they, they ended my interview with them by talking about how. You know, no one is above criticism. You don't give a pass to people because you like them or because they are a religious minority or because they look like you or whatever. Like you, you challenge people. And, and for me, as someone who's like always fucking challenging people, I was like, yes, 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 exactly. Obviously. But, (laughs) but these folks were like fucking in high school. And I know that they were a bit frustrated with the, with the convention, but I, I, I really did get the sense that they, even though they were frustrated, that they were not ready to give up on it. They were not ready to give up on uh what they join the party to do and and i think that you know one of the biggest cancers in in uh politics is 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 hackism or hackery right is all of these mm-hmm. young hacks that just are like hack their way through fucking being 20 and losers and hacks <laughs> and then oh my God. and maybe they become an mp hack shithead and there's a couple of hack MP shitheads now that we have who are in caucus. But I don't I don't <laughs> get this. And by hack, of course, what Nora means is like defending the party at all costs right. instead of struggling to make the party a better party. Just defending the party, even if you yourself know that the party is really, really shitty or your organization or whatever it is. Like, you know, if you if you recognize that if you have an affiliation to a party and you have a. Um, I don't know what's, you know, frick, you know, a membership or like some sort of like hope for that party or whatever, like make it better, like be committed to it. If that's, yeah. if that's your shtick, do it. Yeah. Um, instead of just defending it because that's, you know, boring and yeah. also isn't going to help create the type of policies that we need uh for those of us who are on the ground struggling for a uh for a more just society yeah like don't fucking sell out right like fuck yeah that's a hack yeah hacks so (laughs) yeah so i met a lot of young young people and people who were excited by by singh's leadership who did not seem to be hacks and so that gave me a lot of uh hope really uh, I'm super cynical about the NDP, and so I'm, you know, not the best person you? to. <laughs> really? Yeah. That was a joke. Okay, continue. You're not yeah. the best person. Go on. That's a, that's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I, I take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt, but I was very, very excited to hear um, very critical, very smart, and engaged activists who were there to be activists and who were not there to necessarily be hacked. So that was that was great. That was really great. And so the only hope is. Struggle, organize, trust Hamilton. Yeah. I love it. Well, but, but trust Hamilton's model, right? Like, like organize on the ground, find active people. And, 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 and one of the things that I say in talks all the time 
is, you know, it's fine if you want to work inside or outside of a structure. Just pick one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Pick one and be honest with yourself. Like not everybody, not all of us can put on a tie and fucking smile and nod with a politician. And some of us can. Um, but it doesn't make you any less or any more of a fucking activist if you can. Like just just pick it and go headfirst towards whatever your goal is and, and bring people along with you. Mm-hmm.